talk about current events, religion, politics, philosophy, and science. You will be challenged. You will question everything you thought you believed. Prepare to be. everyone welcome back this week we're doing our part three and hopefully final part of our ten commandments series i'm your host again thomas and joining me today is elias how you doing man hey there hey there doing good how's your week gone uh pretty good just a lot of working and uh yeah <laughs> sitting it <laughs> yeah. sitting at home Waiting kind of for vaccines. Here. Yeah, when <laughs> pandemic needs to end. Mm-hmm. Especially with my type of work where I'm interacting with people. I'm, I'm ready to kind of be ba- past the stress of it. Yeah. Uh, before we kind of get into, uh, you know, jumping back into the, uh, uh, the Ten Commandments, um, you've, you've had a couple of, uh well you actually you have a potential guest that we're going to be talking about um uh relationships and you mentioned polyamory yeah i i thought it might be an interesting conversation to have i i just recently uh talked with a friend of mine named bobby harris and he and his wife have a podcast called to hell with you and back and it is a marriage podcast, and it's just uh, nice. I had seen from what I've listened to, I, what I really gather is they just kind of, um, you know, they talk honestly about their marriage and the aggravations and the difficulties of, uh, you know, navigating life with kids. You know, uh, they've been talking a lot about stuff for COVID and how to deal with the holidays for COVID and, um, but they, you know, had a really great conversation with them and I, you know, how interesting would it be to analyze, uh, this idea of polyamory and, and really stretch it out and kind of see how maybe some people who are very, very more traditionally minded when it comes to um, you know, relationships. Right. Just because, uh, you know, for clarity, they aren't polyamorous. <laughs> yeah, no, no, uh, no, They're in a monogamous relationship. So, they're they're uh, not, they're not swingers. No. Um, <laughs> so you, what did you just uh, bring it up to them and ask them, you know, what, if they were interested in having a conversation about that subject or. Yeah. I, I you know, I did it. I did an interview with him, uh, for some other stuff I'm working on. I don't want to uh-huh. get. I don't want to jump too far ahead into it because I'm uh, very right. much in the early stages of all that. But I uh, interviewed him, and we talked a lot about you know the life of being a guy who was really active in the music entertainment world and the 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 metalcore uh, scene. And he he booked shows for a venue in Nashville called Rocket Town, and uh-huh. um, they. Uh, you know, it, that kind of life is really difficult to balance kids and family. Oh, yeah. 
So, you know, he had, he took a major step back from all that and has kind of redirected and, you know, hearing him and his wife talk honestly and openly about their relationship and the things that they struggle with as well as, and, and, you know, the, the monotony and frustration and a little annoying pet beef stuff. And they get real about it and they're honest about it and they're, they're Christian. It's a very, um, kind of, you know, Christian value perspective. Uh, they're really cool people. Um, they're not ultra fundamentalist psychos. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I, they're, they're <laughs> friendly, but they're, they're definitely probably going to have a little bit more of a traditional value than maybe um, you or myself and, and our views I'm, I'm, on polyamory. I, you know, I'm kind of like, hey, whatever f- works for you, you know, like, but me, I'm, uh, I, I like where I'm, what I'm doing romantically and, and, right. uh, cohabitively and whatnot with well, my and you marriage. know me, I, I am not traditional at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to challenge pretty much any status quo or, or traditional idea. And I don't disagree with you. Um, I, I kind of feel like, you know, what, what works for you? Cause, mm-hmm. um, what works for one person doesn't work for everybody. It, it, relationships aren't a one size fits fits all. So I, I, I'm excited about that topic. Um, uh, and I've got opinions on it. So that, I think that'll be a really fun conversation. For um, sure. Also in the works, we've got another guest who, um, uh, potentially I'm, I'm hoping that he's able to, to make it on because he's got some pretty interesting views on, uh, what he calls, uh, biblical cosmology, um, which essentially is, is, uh, a, a literal, interpretation of uh, the biblical view that you know the world is flat so that might be a really interesting uh guest as well uh that we're going to be uh having on uh in some of the upcoming episodes here so don't worry everybody it's not just all about the ten commandments we're not doing uh uh we're three parts in but this is probably going to be the last of it um even though it's really interesting um we want to cover a lot of you know a broad variety of of topics For sure. Uh, we just want to challenge everything uh, uh, critically. So I, I think those are going to be really fun. But uh, getting back into our now three-part series on the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Um, let's jump back in where we I'm, left off. Uh, la- I'm ready to move on, man. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> right, been a rough. It's been a rough couple of episodes. There's there's uh, a lot a lot of content there. So yeah, it, it you kind of have to you know balance whether you want to go more in depth or if you want to kind of skim over it that's that's a hard line to walk but uh um yeah we've we don't have a whole lot of uh i mean the rest of these are are fairly concise and straightforward so let's hope um, so we might we might hop through a few of them fairly quickly we'll see (laughs) (laughs) all right so uh open your bibles to exodus 20 or your browsers you know if you're you're in the your 2020 your open your bible app to exodus 20 or just google it shit and uh (laughs) so exodus 20 in the verse the 13th verse you shall not murder which i mean that's pretty straightforward right i mean simple enough yeah uh well said the only issue i have with this in particular is God doesn't follow this commandment. 
Uh, <laughs> interesting twist. I didn't see that coming, honestly. I, I don't know why. I'm surprised that beat you just saying it, but yeah, really, because I was just kind of going based off of the okay, that's straightforward. Next, and then you uh, you kind of caught me off guard. I, I'm kind of embarrassed. The the Christian uh, brought that to the atheist's attention. Oh so, man, uh, man, we might get stuck on this longer than I thought. Uh, so so, uh, what do you think about that idea that that you know God sets this uh, standard of no murder? Um, now and he, he does it, and yeah, yeah, he he <laughs> commands genocide, and um, man, I'm I'm not even gonna try to do the mental gymnastics to justify that. Uh, aside from going back to kind of my view that this is a book written by men, um, mm-hmm. the the commandment makes sense. Um, it's common sense not to just murder people and murder is you know a specific kind of killing because we all kind of understand you know killing out of necessity or Mm self-defense sort of a thing so and that's a very specific kind of killing Uh, and i don't even know anybody who would really argue against that commandment i don't know how you go about doing the justifications you know for why is it okay for God, you know, why does that rule not apply to him? I don't know. Um, I'm, I mean, I guess if you get into the belief that death isn't really death, then there is, you know, eternal existence, which I'm not convinced is true. So, I mean, you have a long way to go to convince me that anybody, you know, has that right to do it. But, well, well, they would... A fundamental Christian is going to immediately, and I was hoping that um, our Bible cosmology guy would come on today because I really would want him to present maybe a more uh, traditional evangelical view of right. Um, I, I think his, the mur- his thou shalt not murder. I, I think his objection was just that we're coming from such a different perspective on this that he is, uh, than he is that it would just take too long and it, we would have to dig in too deep on every little thing to right. really have a productive conversation on it. So, Well, um, little does he know, I have uh, been pretty much part of almost every evangelical denomination at one point or another. <laughs> so, I mean, I know I, I got a wide background on that, and, and but I, oh, well. Um, but you know, my, his argument, and this would have been my argument too, because you just made a big claim about how you justify murder. Well, a Christian would very well ask you, a Democrat the same thing. A Christian would ask a Democrat. Sorry, that's my old language there. Ooh. Yeah, that's just, that's yeah, the programming. But see, that's Whoops. the that's the programming <laughs> of I, evangelicalism. I do know a lot of Christian Democrats. Yes, uh, well, I'm one of them, but yeah. you know, I and I even made a statement that was, uh, you know, offensive to myself here. But so that's I'm, the strange I'm thing neither, about all so this. I'm not offended because I'm neither Christian nor a Democrat. Well, I, you know, I don't know if I'm necessarily a Democrat, but I lean left now, whereas yeah. I used to lean right, and I used to be very much yeah. a conservative. But I don't want to get sidetracked. But that yeah, is the yeah, point. 
this stuff and in the Ten Commandments especially is so ingrained in our culture, the idea of this biblical law standard. Mm-hmm. Law established by law is law is the established idea of God. Uh, which oh yeah, didn't aren't we looking at the possibility of also having uh, uh, anarchist somebody who like really grabs I, a hold of that claim of anarchist coming up? Um, soon? I I initially thought he was an anarchist, and he filled out the uh, contact form, and he's actually an an. an Anarcho-capitalist, which is actually quite different. <laughs> okay. Well, I have no so, idea what that is. But anyway. Um, uh, anarchy is very much right-wing. Or I'm sorry. Anarchy is very much left-wing, um, mm-hmm. like to the utmost extent that you can go to the left. And anarcho-capitalism, to me, kind of falls more corporatist. And they get along more with, with right-wing. So, yeah, that uh, maybe not. We. We'll we'll find out more yeah, later. We'll, we'll we'll see how that goes. But there's so much that is subliminal in Christian culture and the Christian values and this idea, like that you know, law is sacred, law is holy. Um, that the you know the institution of government is exalted to the ability to just to determine what is holy. You know, that like that's what's been going on for you know the majority of history. Uh, but how, how do you define holy? Um, that it's dictated by God, the law is dictated by God, the law okay. is the law is exalted and above, you know, i.e., holy because it is given to us by God. But the thing is, is we don't get laws quote unquote by God now. You know, at least in that point in time, they probably sent kings on vision quests and, you know, had, you know, people tripping out on hallucinogens, Uh, you know, at least reasoning with the kings of, you know, ancient cultures. But uh, anyway, but thou shalt not murder. I'm pretty sure a fundamental. Christian's going to ask you the same question of how can you justify murder because you you justify murder through supporting abortion. Yeah. Um and that's that's the big deal. That was a really big deal to me for a right. very long time me as too, I was part of the actually. church. Um that that was one uh big hurdle for me to get past uh to really be able to um support the democratic party uh policy wise um mm-hmm. because i was kind of hung up on you know this idea of of killing babies mm-hmm. <sighs> what changed was when i lost my religious belief and any kind of belief in anything supernatural um with that went the belief in a soul so you know this concept that a soul is either created or inserted into you know a, uh, an, a fertilized egg at the moment of conception, that was gone. Um, because I view life as an entirely natural process. So if there's not a soul, 
And this this can be fairly well demonstrated that without a brain, there is no consciousness. And so the entirety of a person resides in the ability of their brain to produce that. So, you know, like if you just had a body without a head, you know, arms, legs, heart, and everything, you were able to keep that all functioning. Most people wouldn't consider that a person because there's there's no personality there. There's there's it's there's just no a body of identity. Yeah. Right. Um, even once you're brain dead, that's kind of, you know, at the point where you're able to keep the body alive, but the brain is no longer functioning. We don't mm. consider that person to still be living They're They're, you know, they've died. Yeah. They're um, zombies. <laughs> well, yeah. even a zombie has some degree of, of awareness and, you know, they don't, um, <laughs> their brain is literally no longer functioning. And so for me, it, it, it kind of comes down to before the point at which a brain has developed and possesses the ability to, you know, be sentient and have sapience, before that point, it's really hard for me to assign personhood to a group of cells that are developing into a, you know, they're, they're a potential person at that point. They're not yet a person. Um, it's just like, you know, uh, uh, not every fertilized egg actually, you know, develops into uh, a fetus. Um, you know, if if every fertilized egg that doesn't develop is is you know a, a person dying, um, mass genocide. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. I mean that 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 well, and I mean that's God is responsible for those, I guess, if He's controlling everything, but. To me, that's that's just setting that bar way too far back. And I, I'm not <laughs> going to say that there is one defining moment at which, you know, a fetus becomes a person. Um, that's a slow developmental process where, you know, gradually as a, a brain starts to develop, it gets more and more and more aware. Um, so, of course, you know, late term, that's a very different story than early term. And there isn't really a single point where, uh, you know, the, the things change. It's a gradual process. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's that's that has a lot to do with it. Is is the personhood argument? But then beyond that, um, regardless, even at the point, you know, that um, if if it were a person all the way back, let's say it were conscious, for a baby. You know, let's say a baby is is you know developed far enough, but it's not able to exist on its own. Um, it requires the use of another person's body for its own survival. So the host, the mother, that person's body is required for somebody else's survival, which means that the mother, if you don't allow her the right to choose whether or not her body is used in that way, you're basically saying that she doesn't have a right to bodily autonomy. And there's really not any other context at which we would force a person to surrender the use of their body for somebody else's survival, even if they're responsible. Like if you caused a car accident um, and you were the only person you know, who could donate blood to save the victim's life, we don't 
require that. You know, that that's that's that would be a violation of that person's right to bodily autonomy, even if they're responsible. Um, so, you know, the combination of just the bodily autonomy argument where a mother who sometimes didn't make that decision, let's say, you know, a 13-year-old girl who was raped, um, especially in an early term, you know, right after pregnancy, um, mm-hmm. if they don't want to go through that process and, and allow their body to be used in, in that way, I don't think that we have the right to force them. So you can call it murder. That's a really big stretch, especially when we're talking about a, you know, a, a group of cells that literally don't have the capacity to have any consciousness uh, because there's not yet a developed brain. Um, if you want to call that murder, then we've really broadened the definition of that term, especially when God is willing to you know, kill actual children in mass, uh, just because someone didn't, let's say, put blood over their door, you know, because they didn't know to. To me, that's that's a, an entirely different standard um, that you're holding mm. God to versus what you're holding people to. Yeah, really strange, right? <laughs> you know, that, <laughs> it, and that's, you know, you got to do a lot of, and that's the thing that I have a hard time with. Uh, you know, I once some, heard somebody tell me that the reason Democrats um, aren't getting kind of the, they're not getting the motivation and excitement out of their people compared to the right and how amped up the right is about Trump or whoever. And they would say it's because Democrats don't try as hard to appeal to multiple levels of morality. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, and, and so, but the truth is there are a lot of paradoxical hypocritical issues with that when especially when it comes to evangelicalism right if you take the bible as inerrant uh you know like killing people really there there's a lot of ways we can justify killing people and that that goes right. back to Augustine and Martin Luther and and I mean the right. Catholic Church did it you, you know as well the Protestants a lot of people don't realize how like bloodthirsty the Protestant movement was too I mean they killed just as many people they were killing right. they were killing off other Protestant groups the Luther, you know Martin Luther and his posse were killing off Anabaptists and a bunch right. of other people so. And it's this idea that we can we can kill people in the name of God, and the 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 theology behind that is that through doing that we actually are redeeming them. Uh-huh. Like these are crazy, um, in, like empire based, th- and this is what really did it for me with Christianity was. If I'm going to be- stay a Christian, I cannot subscribe 
to all of the violence in the name of God stuff anymore. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to condone any of those movements. So I stepped away from, uh, you know, the Protestant movement or, or the Protestant theology. And I said, how seriously can I take this if murder can be justified with it? You know what I mean? And same thing with the rest of the Bible. Like, if I read the Bible in a context that justifies the conquering of other nations, the killing of innocent people, you know, that that's how does that work? Right. If it's a God of love, and if you look at what Jesus says, you know, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus really kicks it up a notch and he says, you know, well, if you even think about your brother in a way that's hateful, you've you might as well have already murdered him. Except that you didn't. <laughs> right, but you've got to you've got to understand the intense relationship between the Jewish people and hyperbole. You right. have to, dude. And that's the thing that that... frustrates about me. Look at Jewish culture. Look at the people, the artists, and the writers of Jewish culture. They are incredibly... um, There's a certain spirit about them. There's a certain personality and charisma about them that is just clever and witty, and they're doing things <laughs> on multiple levels all the time. Spielberg and, and all these guys, yeah. man, they're, they're just, they know what they're doing when they're telling a story. And that's <laughs> kind of the, that's the point. And that's the sad part. Evangelicalism yeah. misses out on the story completely. The real story that's being told, uh, I mean, if you, I don't know if you've ever, um, spoke with anybody in conservative Juda- Judaism, um, but the conservative Judaism... Not very many. Yeah, that conservative Judaism is not politically conservative. It's, right. uh, it's, it's very much modern Judaism. Right. And so, and this comes back to the, I really think the whole point of the Ten Commandments is this, and, and we can move on off the murder thing, but... <laughs> I think really what's happening here is basically this this is the overview of this story. The Jews say, "Give us rules, it'll be easier." And God says, "Okay." And he gives them the rules. And then the rest of the story for the entire Old Testament is all of the ways they break the rules <laughs> continuously. No matter what, like the, 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 the Old Testament project, like the mission and goal of God in the Old Testament, man, they really miss it big time. Yeah. And uh, because the whole idea was God looked at Abraham, Abraham and said, I want to build a nation out of you, and it's going to be a priesthood to the uh-huh. world. Like these people are going to reconcile uh, all of the, the, the stuff that needs to be redeemed in culture and in, in, in the world culture. So the idea was, is we're going to create a system, and this, as a nation, they were called to rise up and uh, preach love, 
preach peace, mm-hmm. kindness, charity, uh, spe- uh, specifically to the stranger, specifically to the people you don't know and um, to care for. And they were doing things that were completely socially unacceptable at the time because, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you got slavery. That's a big deal. Right. But, you know, every seven years, they, ha- they were required by God in their laws that every seven years they had to release a slave. They had to. You know, there, yeah. there are all there's, kinds of things like that where there's also a lot it's of a very, in those rules. Yeah. Too. Yeah. <laughs> there is. And there, that whole deal, and this is what I'm trying to say that the real God project is, is that over time, human consciousness and perception and, and awareness is getting clearer and um, more transcendent in through time and the goal is is to progress through every generation and you take spirituality and you progress it and you take science and you progress that and uh, the spiritual group needs to find a way to reconcile things with science like if you claim any kind of spirituality and you cannot reconcile science, I have a really hard time with that because it's just, you're simply just, you're refusing to be critical, to critically think. And I truly believe that that's what Jesus expected of us. It's what the spirit of the prophets was, was to challenge authority and to be contrary. I mean, you kind of have to, you know, the way you look at science has to be um, that of, you know, with an open mind where, you know, there is no final conclusion within science. That's the whole point. Um, mm-hmm. You're always trying to disprove, you know, the the current understanding in favor of a more accurate one. Um, so, you know, it, even if you're trying to contrast, you know, one belief against a scientific conclusion, um, that conclusion can and will change. So um, that's that's where instead of um really holding to any particular conclusion um i think that you know our focus really should just be on the process by which we use to make conclusions and you know always try to proportion our our confidence in conclusions with the amount of evidence that supports them and remain open to you know revision well said i would really push people to take that and not just use it in a a just in the logical realm of thinking oh, yeah. and belief, but to do that holistically. Oh yeah. You know, so uh, you like, you learn to clearly judge yourself as an individual. Yeah, and, I mean, one and, of the, the biggest, um, transform transformational things, uh, that really, um, helped my, my ability to critically look at things was you know to understand science that it's not a body of knowledge but that it's it's a philosophical approach yes for determining truth or rather determining what isn't truth mm-hmm. um and that does so you you very much can apply that to pretty much just about everything yeah and i think this is the this is the thing that's been the major conflict and i think we're about to see this complex conflict hopefully resolved and uh it comes between the 
the clash between Christianity, modern Christianity and science, you know? And I think what that, that I think we're going to see some form of reconciliation with that, maybe not completely, but at least to the point where um, Christianity is going to be viewed in a much more philosophical way. And I think that both sides, the, the faith side and then the, the reason side, are both going to look at the past and, and come to complete terms with it. So saying that, like, all the science people are going to look and be like, y'all get mad at us for abortion? Y'all are f- the fucked up ones. And then we're going to say, yeah, but you got to give credit to all us weirdos because if there was a short period of time where science was basically carried by occultists and Christians, you know, and it, like that, that's the crazy thing about it. A lot of people don't understand that a lot of science developed out of the the mystic movement of like monks and uh you know these these people that have been projected to sainthood if you really look into their their uh backgrounds and their history what you really find out is they found a very sneaky way to either do philosophy or some form of scientific method whether it be you know medicine or uh, you know, all herbology, all these things, the astronomy, all these things developed in these people that were being really sneaky so that they could keep pushing forward without the, the church killing them, you know? See, this is what I like about you because I want to <laughs> push, push back against that, but I don't, I need to do more research. I'm, I, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't like the way <laughs> right that on. sounds, but I don't have anything really to push back with. Um, and that's that forces me to go back and, and do more research. And I love that. I love feeling uncomfortable with an idea and then it sparking my curiosity to go look, right. look further into it. So that's um, kudos. Yeah, you're, you're <laughs> definitely doing that to me right now but to to be completely fair at the same time how many of those people were just faking it completely right i don't know that we we can't know to the fullest i mean there's probably some writings where they're like no the god thing is nonsense uh we just pretend to do this for the sake of (laughs) trying to survive and you know i've i've thought about what we're doing the, uh, the current pope uh, I've been suspicious of him on that very thing, but he <laughs> could he could legit believe everything that he he uh, says, and I I don't I don't want to doubt him too much, but he's awfully progressive. He for is Catholics. He is, but you know, there's like probably he's like the he is the antithesis to Donald Trump right now. Like <laughs> he's. He's doing the same things Donald Trump is doing in the Vatican, but in a complete opposite way, <laughs> you know, but anyway, let's move on. I think, I think we've, right. 
we've done a good job at really stretching out the concept of murder uh, and and all the things that at least I have a problem with it. I'm uh, people. I'm a very, um, I guess, pacifist. I'm very much a pacifist. I very much believe in nonviolence. I've had Mm -hmm. instances where I have been physically attacked and refused to fight back. Mm. I have been mocked and ridiculed for that. Yeah. But at the same time, it's something that I can say I have control over. Right. You know, and and no matter what anybody says, I look at Jesus, and to me, he teaches nonviolence. I cannot, I can't make Jesus not teach nonviolence. I, to me, it's too big of a stretch. A lot of people will do it and they'll share the verses that they're going to quote for that. And I'm going to look at you and I'm going to be like, you're totally tearing that apart. You don't know how to read the Bible. You know what? (laughs) Um, interestingly by nature, I, I tend to be a little more confrontational. Um, just naturally, I, Mm I, I don't like to back down from a bully. Mm -hmm. Um, if somebody is, is physically, you know, threatening, then I want to counter that violence, um, to stop it, you know, to counter a threat. Um, and I don't have a Jesus to inspire me, you know, towards pacifism. However, um, I do talk a lot with a lot of other, um, people who are into philosophy and, and, um, you know, religion, uh, atheism particularly uh i i've got a friend uh jj who uh is a hard determinist and mm-hmm. some of his arguments actually do a pretty good job of convincing me um towards more pacifist uh behaviors um because if people aren't always entirely responsible for their behavior mm-hmm. then maybe you know certain responses aren't appropriate or even effective um and i I think that you know taking a more pragmatic approach and looking more at um the consequences of your approach rather than you know whatever your idea of fairness is and you're really looking more towards what is going to benefit everybody the most including the person who might be acting out um you know what might actually change their behavior versus what's going to you know, do them equally what they did to somebody else. Um, that actually is is fairly convincing to me uh, to actively change the way that I approach situations. So, right, um, there isn't just a single uh, path to pacifism uh, or nonviolent behavior. Yeah, and you know, we need to have JJ on. That'd be a fun uh, one to talk about. He's really smart. Yeah, yeah, no, it would. It really would. I, I we we talked with him before on on an episode that. That didn't get aired, didn't we? Technical difficulties on that one constantly. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. the conversation trailed off all over the place. So I, was, yeah. I, was, I was a little everywhere on that one. But anyway. We'll 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 do one with him that's more structured in the right future. On. But yeah, um, it's if everybody was a pacifist, you know, like and that's what I mean, shit. Look at the well, Native American Indians. Like look at look at the native peoples of America. They weren't right. necessarily but, pacifists, but they, they were <laughs> way more nonviolent to each other. Uh, I mean, the thing is, is that everybody won't. 
Well, they just won't. But if we make it a societal norm. You can, but then the problem with that is when somebody else comes in who isn't. Um, I think that's actually kind of part of the problem with um, a lot of more liberal um, societies is that they tend to have, well, there's this tendency where, you know, they'll get to a certain point um, and shift further and further, you know, towards kind of a utopian socialistic uh, Mm -hmm. uh, norm. And then they get like taken over by a straight up fascist. Um, (laughs) Right. uh, I mean, there has to be a counter for that um, at some point. Yes. And I'm, I, you know, that's, and that's where it kind of comes down to like personal conviction. Like you have to, you have to have personal conviction, but uh, on the other hand, should people be allowed to um, do and create and, and make and modify the kind of guns and should the availability of the guns that we have and, uh, you know, let's not talk about the, 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 uh, the bailouts that the <laughs> arms industries got during COVID. Uh, right. yeah you know like and that, that that's a big subject but uh, like to me it's yeah. like this is something that i know cannot be fixed with this uh, utopian idea and so what right. i uh, what what i believe you have to do with that is you have to slowly change the ideal over time right through progressive rationale and um revelation like which i would say the transcendent mind like because the more and more people break down these norms for instance the whole polyamory thing the more and people break down these norms um it's like how much is necessary and i believe you know the as these norms break down slowly over time and i believe that that's god's project and sadly the Christian evangelical world is not holding the torch for this. Somehow, it's atheists and Satanists and all these other people that don't claim the name of God. But I think that God is using them, and I think God is using them to do his good on the earth because these people that follow false doctrine and false teachings and follow an antichrist uh they they're not going to well, do it and so what you get is you get the people in the church that will stand side by side with the LGBT community and the BLM protests and they'll they'll supply the needs at protests hand give him water give him food like that's the thing a lot of people don't realize how many churches are going out and supporting the the world of the left you know the the democratic view they're they're supporting these things that are coming against the extreme right and a lot of people don't know about it but it's there i mean and that tide is rising uh, but at the same time we have the non-religious crowd and that's growing every day too it's like so yeah. I I really think we're about to come to a point culturally where 
I really hope there's not a lot of bloodshed in the midst of it, but I think there's going to be a major yeah. paradigm shift for the whole nation. And I just hope it's not bloody. I just hope it's not. <laughs> I really don't. I want to we see as little violence as possible. But yeah, same, same. It's at a boiling point, man. And the madness of all of it. And that's truly what it is. People don't understand we're brainwashed. And once you start tearing down these walls, and the only people willing to try to do that right now are non-religious and atheistic and humanist religious people. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there, there's right. a very small people, a small group in the church. There's a very small group of people claiming to be Christians that are doing that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's weird because it's like they're standing with this other group in the world. Like to me, when I was a kid, when I first got into the Bible, if you told me that Jesus did not stand for the marginalized, I would even just, you know, the first year I became a Christian, I'd look at you and I'd say, you're an idiot. Right. You know, because I'd read the book. <laughs> anyway, but we, we were talking about tearing down these walls. That comes to the next mm -hmm. commandment. Yeah, that was a good segue. Don't commit adultery. Um, Damn I, it. I, I, I thought we were going to blow through these, man. Shit. Anyway, <laughs> well, I'm, we're, we're almost done. We've only got like two left. Yeah. Adultery. Adultery in my eyes is a lot of things. Okay. It's not just um, me. It is anything that means I'm not coming to the standard that I made when I, when I vowed myself to marriage. Okay. Okay. So I, I agree with you. I think that adultery is kind of an old terminology. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not applicable in every scenario uh, because adultery tends to pretty much mean any kind of uh, uh, like sexual relationship outside of your marriage. Um, I much prefer to look at the concept of cheating um, because cheating is it's a little more specific. Um, and it's a little more flexible. Uh, it's not quite as all-encompassing um, because it allows for different types of uh, relationship agreements where, mm -hmm. you know, not every marriage, you know, traditionally marriage had some assumed um, commitments. Mm -hmm. um, that's not always the case in every relationship. Uh, if you've made an agreement with somebody, the way you cheat is by breaking that agreement. Right. If you didn't make an agreement or you specifically made um you know an agreement or something and you're abiding by that agreement and it doesn't follow some particular standard then that isn't cheating because you're not breaking you know a a, a, a rule that you or you know a, a promise that you had made um so that can be just the terminology there can be a little bit problematic i think the concept of you know standing by your commitments um uh -huh. that's really what's more important yeah 
uh, how about instead of adultery, we just say be honorable, you know, like. I mean, even, you know, don't break your relationship agreements. Don't yeah. cheat. Yeah. And um, I mean, I'm, I'm really extreme with that. And, uh, you know, I have, I come from some ultra fundamental hardcore, hardcore views mm-hmm. that, and here's the thing. The conclusions I've come to through those views have not changed, but my views have changed. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm still in the same, like I still live by the same, uh, standards that I had originally when it came to, uh, sexuality and, and, you know, all the fun, the traditional ideas about sex and Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm like, kind of like, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm, I'm looking to the wrong people to figure out what sexuality is. Right. Um, because it's really obvious. I mean, isn't, isn't the divorce rate in the church higher than the divorce rate outside the church? I'm pretty sure it is. It is. And it it's is. higher. And I, I think there's probably some some reasons for that. I know that, you know, anecdotally. I'll, I'll um, tell you what that reason is, and it is the devil <laughs> is working overtime. He is coming after God's people, and he wants to, that's the biggest thing that he wants to break is the, the family. You meanwhile, get- in reality. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I know anecdotally for myself, um, there was a lot of pressure on teens to abstain from any kind mm-hmm. of sexuality until marriage. And so what happens as a consequence of that is a lot of people get married really young because um, they, you know, they're attracted to people. They want to experience all of that, you know. Um, they want to do uh, it. Well, there's that. There's, you know, there's the hormones, but then there's, you know, sex can be a very intimate thing. It's, it's how human beings form bonds with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a natural driving force. Um, and if you're basically to abstain from even the thought of it, which is literally what I was taught until you're married, then that puts a lot of emphasis on getting married very young, very quick. And Everybody knows, you know, from the time that you were 18 to the time that you're 25, you can become a very radically different person as you mature yeah. and, and grow and you, you change a lot. Um, I think that might be a pretty big contributing factor to, you know, you, you get married when you're 18, 19, 20 years old. And then over the next 10 years, if you really change like I did, who you are, compatibility starts to become an issue as you know not everybody grows in the same direction some people grow in opposite directions and i know if i had married the person that i had the biggest crush on when i was 18 there's no way we would still be married now um there i don't see how that could have been a healthy lasting relationship right well um, man and people don't realize like you know people that didn't grow up with those kind of like traditions and values they don't understand like the str- the stress that these ideas and and of abstinence can put on a person and you, right i made a comment earlier i don't even know if the joke was super clear but let me put it in perspective you're like a 12 year old boy and you're like 
some crazy person, like, because I've heard the crazy teachings that weird, ultra-fundamentalist people will teach your kids at summer camps about your seed carries the, uh, the soul, you know, like <laughs> semen has souls. And so if you ejaculate, <laughs> you're killing mass genocide. Yes. And that's what I'm saying. Like, th- yeah. like the intense amount of guilt and shame over having oh, yeah. sexual feelings, the more taboo it is, the more that's going to manifest in a dark, negative way. And man, it's just rough. I, you know, that was the thing. Me and my wife went through a really hard time uh, dealing with that and, and kind of healing from it. Like we had to step yeah. back in our marriage and say, okay, what are our ideas about sex? Right. What do we really believe? What is okay? What is not okay? Like we had, we reevaluated a lot of that and was, you know, and I don't think that's something you can do in a year or 10, you know, you, you're, you're going to yeah. get, you're going to learn more, uh, uh, the, the sexual relationship of anyone with another person is an incredibly complex thing. And, right. you know, I, I don't know, we, we scratched the surface on these kinds of things neurologic you know neurologically and uh right you who the hell knows man anyway let's that's, keep that's, rolling <laughs> yeah because that's a very big subject that's an entire episode well and hopefully we can have with your uh your friends yeah and so this you know we can really hit that adultery idea in uh the polyamory episode because i'm sure it'll be a, a all over the place talk where we challenge everybody's views and you know? Just as kind of a teaser, I will say that um, coming out of religion was a pretty major transformational process in my life that um, I did kind of unwillingly as I followed evidence and, and arrived at the only conclusions I could come to. Um, that was a, you know, probably the first wave of the, you know, the biggest changes that I made in my life. But even bigger than that, was letting go of some of the ideas that I was indoctrinated into around sexuality. Um, that required more work, and um, it had a bigger impact on, you know, my outlook on a lot of things than uh, anything else. Um, mm-hmm. That that's a pretty major subject. Uh, that now I love having that conversation, but it's it's it is a very big topic, and mm-hmm. I think it's one that we have some. Uh, very mainstream ideas that were inspired by, you know, very traditional uh, religious ideology. And I don't think yeah. that it's, it's all, you know, necessarily healthy. Yeah. I mean, there's, man, I think things are going to change radically in the, the next I hope. 30 years, if we can get that far. I really, I'm working on it. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. Anyway, uh, let's hit yep. the last two in one go. How about yes. that? All right, let's do it. That you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You skipped one. No, oh, no, we got three. Oh, man. You shall not steal. Yeah. You shall not give fa- false testimony against your neighbor. And you shall not cover your neighbor's house or your neighbor's wife or his male or female slave 
It says servant, but I'm going to say what it really is. Slave. <laughs> his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to him. Um, okay, so hmm. when it reads out like that, this is commentary on something. They're, they're, they're stating all of that stuff in a very specific way because they're, yeah. they are setting something up for later on in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I don't have a whole lot to say about covetousness, um, but, you know, hey, let's talk about it this way. Materialism. Um, mm. Covetousness controls American culture. Envy and pride and wanting what somebody else has or wanting more than they have or better than they have. That's the American way, dude. What about, because just to be contrarian, what about this idea that, I mean, I can see this being used as an argument against the, the lower class of America in their criticism of the upper class yeah. of America saying that they don't deserve what they have and we want it. Um, mm-hmm. And I can see this being used as an argument against that. But then from the other side of that, the billionaires in this company didn't single-handedly create that, that wealth. They relied on exploiting mm-hmm. to some degree other people to get that off of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is some degree of, you know, looking at that and seeing the unfairness in that exploitation. And so is it maybe valid to see some people who have more than maybe is justified for them to have and call that out as being unfair? Uh, yeah, to me, it's like that the last one, the coveting is kind of the maybe the root of the whole stealing and right uh, false testimony thing because you see those you see those things and it's like well how can i get that how can i take that and and (laughs) the the perfect example is is david later on in the old testament king david uh sees uh this woman uh bathing on a roof and he said, I'm going to have that. And um, he, <laughs> just it's, like that too. it's, yeah, it's an incredibly wild, weird story where he, um, the guys, the, this, this woman's husband's in an army and he sends him off to the front lines of battle. You know, basically he puts him in a position where he knows this dude's going to die and then takes his right. wife. Um, right. And that, I think That'd that's cool. Yeah. It's, it's really not, but I, that's like, I really believe, and and that's the whole Bible to me is the whole story, whether it's Judaism or uh, Islam or Egyptian culture, the 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 religion story. Mm-hmm. It all comes up to these kinds of ideas. I think that it's all either. I think I said this last time, it's either looking backward or it's looking forward. And to me, it likes to do that at the same time. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, all this stuff has been done pr- before Moses. All this stuff has been done after Moses. 
I mean, you can find those first commandments, almost all of them broken um, in the Cain and Abel story. Right. You know, there's it, it all. The whole Bible is just a continuation of itself where it retells kind of the same fundamental morals over and over again. And I think right. that's, uh, you know, hey, you don't steal. Don't. What's up? OK, I'm almost done finishing up now sorry about that um (laughs) okay so the don't steal don't lie and you know don't want everything everybody else has right don't these things kind of like this idea of to me i like to look at that last the idea of covetousness and and god's forbiddance against it from a more eastern angle like like ideas uh-huh. in buddhism of like if you the more you let go of everything the more at peace you will be right um and i mean i think jesus exemplifies well, that pretty well i i think motivation can kind of come into play there because whenever i i think about you know not stealing of course i don't want to steal from people that's 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 their well-being that's something that you know, mm. that um, they've probably worked for um, mm. that is rightfully theirs. I, I don't believe in, you know, just stealing from people. That's obviously wrong. Um, but man, government <laughs> can capitalize the hell out of these three things. They the, really well, the, can. The thing is, the, my motivation in, you know, kind of what I was alluding to before with, you know, billionaires and the lower class is that there is kind of a trend of exploitation uh, Mm -hmm. where people are kind of essentially stealing, um, you know, the people who are literally producing the wealth. Um, They're paying them a wage, but it's it's not enough for them to live on or get by on. And they're literally sitting on more money than they could ever spend in a thousand lifetimes. Um, So my motivation there isn't, I want that for me. I don't want that kind of wealth. What I want to see is fairness. I want to see people get, you know, what what they've earned. Um, mm-hmm. People who work very hard at the bottom shouldn't do so, you know, so that someone can have more wealth than they could ever possibly utilize. That right. should be given to the people who literally, physically created that wealth. Um, so my motivation isn't even for myself. I don't want more wealth for me. I want everybody to have what they need you know so that they can have the basics to survive on uh and that exploitative system uh to me is actually what is where the theft is happening um Mm -hmm. you know not not the other way around if we take that back it's not we're not taking from those who've earned we're taking back from those who have exploited um so to me that's a very non-selfish motivation of uh trying to give, you know, resources where they rightfully belong. Mm-hmm. Well, Old Testament law requires you to hold back resources specifically for widows, orphans, and immigrants. Right. And this is, that's the big thing that really was who, the who line in the sand for me. Of? The Jewish people. Like as a society or as individuals? As a, as a society. 
Like it is, so, it is a law. It is required that you keep hold back a certain amount of your crops. Uh, 10% of what you own goes to the, the church and the, the priesthood. And, um, you know, it, like there was, there were little weird laws. Like if you dropped a, you were supposed to, they told you purposely drop some of your harvest so that people who were hungry would have food. It was this kind of intense right. charitable, I, these intense charitable ideas um, that uh, we just ignore. And, and people put a lot of claims. I've argued with people about this stuff. And man, it's the thing I get more frustrated and like ready to fight people over than anything else. <laughs> Is like the the stuff with immigration and how caring for the stranger. I mean, if you right. Google it, Google Bible Bible versus immigrant or Bible versus alien or Bible versus stranger or sojourner, yeah. you do that. There are a bunch of stuff. There's a lot in the Bible about that particular subject, refugees and immigrants. There's a ton in the Bible about it, and the main thing is. These people are to be re- honored, respected, and cared for. And uh, if they want to, if they want to live here, they gotta stick to our laws and values. If they want to move on, you help them do that. I mean, I I hear a lot of demonization of quote illegal immigrants God, um, as so you know just you know, breaking the law and being criminals and violent and, you know, coming in to steal and rape our, our society and whatnot. Have you ever met an immigrant or a refugee? I've met, I've met some, some, yeah. I mean, they are, every refugee that I've ever met is the antithesis of that. mm -hmm. They are people in desperation. That's why they're refugees. They're, they're, they're not coming to steal for themselves and you know you know take from you they're they're looking for a place to survive um i mean that like you said that's that is very frustrating to hear that whenever you've literally met people who are the exact opposite of how they're being made out mhm it comes down to do i take jesus seriously what he taught what he commanded. Uh, if I take that stuff seriously, it's got to affect the way I live my life and, and act. And uh, there are so many people that if you preach social justice, if you talk about social justice, I don't know how the hell this happened because... Social justice, there. Like, do you do you remember back to? Do you remember Invisible Children, the nonprofit? Um, n- no. Coney twenty. Okay. Oh, Coney oh, twenty twelve. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Social justice. What at that point in time? I think that was that might have been twenty twelve. Might have been when it kind of shifted. There was a point in time where social justice was a huge value in the evangelical church i know for right. fact i mean i watched uh people like shane claiborne 
who's uh, he's an Anabaptist. He's uh, anti. He's anti uh, death penalty. He's uh, pro ultra pro gun laws. Like he has his part of his nonprofit. What they do is you send them guns and they turn them into gardening tools. <laughs> they dismantle guns and turn them in and and recycle them into gardening tools. This dude is literally on festival stages talking about working with Mother Teresa and being in Iraq during the Iraqi war, you know, like in the Iraq war. I, I may have some differing views on Mother Teresa and guns. I like my guns. Well, <laughs> man, gu- Mother Teresa is... She had some faults. Oh, definitely. I, everybody uh, yeah, does. To say the least. Everybody did and does, but I have a hard time with some of the the stuff that comes against her because I really wonder how much of it is like government politicized fabrication. Because I wouldn't say government politicized as much as well, like what I've what I've um have you been paying attention kind of to what the Indian government is like right now? Like uh, n- no. Um kind of what I was gonna say though is just that <laughs> they were they were kind of coming at it from a uh uh, just being very critical of her motivations and some of the things that she said that were very problematic. So, for um, sure, and yeah. we can talk about that another time, I'm sure. But right, exactly. Yeah, but just for fun, go look up like uh, Indian news, political news. It it's just like Fox News. <laughs> it's just oh like it. And that that's another thing, you know, I mentioned the Patriot Act earlier. Uh Yeah. I highly I highly recommend people check out the Patriot Act on Netflix. The guy who is the host is a comedian, he's Muslim and he's Indian. So it's you get a lot of um he has very He's able to criticize things in a very different view because he is such a he he himself is such a melting pot. Uh mm-hmm. but yeah, man, fascinating stuff. Uh the Ten Commandments. What more can we say? Uh, <laughs> I'm still not entirely sold on whether, you know, uh, I'm gonna always refer back to this moral standard. I, I, I think I found some other ones that are a little more straightforward and applicable yeah. to me directly. Uh, a story, and this is, this is the, the reason I have a hard time with it too. I don't think this can be the, the, the foundation of, you know, a government. I don't think you can take these laws right. and really structure a government around it. Uh, and people would argue that. And I'd be like, well, America has done a shitty job if this is their <laughs> standard. Um, yeah. Because that last commandment, man, that's a pretty, that's a pretty big one. Covetousness. Yep. I mean, Amer- the American dream is, you know, getting whatever you can. And uh, whatever you want, Bilk society to become a billionaire, right? Yep. Uh, whoever, whoever can do it. I mean, if you've con- if you if you possible. have contributed 
if you've contributed to society, the Big Mac, you certainly deserve, you know, billions of dollars. That's, <laughs> that's not even, there's no argument there. Uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, there you have it. Ten Commandments. Yeah, that was uh, interesting for sure. Yeah, I, I mean... I, I don't know how... Uh, to me, that I, I'm still not sold on, uh, you know, that being kind of the moral standard that I'm going to go to uh, to apply to my life. Mm -hmm. um, just because I found some more concise, relevant, um, you know, to me, superior uh, moral standards that that I'm going to apply for me and how mm -hmm. I'm going to live my life. But, um, I mean, that's just me. And. I don't want to sound like a patriot or anything, but I think there are some aspects of these commandments that are maybe self-evident. Um, now, could you claim that the satanic the satanic tenets are self-evident things? I mean, they're based on scientific reasoning or you mm -hmm. know rational, logical reasoning. Um, and those are things that aren't necessarily prescribed, but rather discovered, um, through that process of just yeah, like, uh, reasoning the, the scientific, yeah, the scientific method. So, to me, maybe, maybe there is a degree of, of self-evidence there. Um, I think, I mean, it, it, I think that the, the tenants, the satanic tenants, um, they are much more nuanced. So like it may be a little complex for some small children to grasp some of those ideas, but they probably even have, um, content uh, for kids that better explain these issues. You know, they the, do. They do those have some particular kind of simplified stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sure um, some of it could be pretty self evident if you kind of, um, simplify it down but well and even even like some of the things that like people might argue well the, those are arbitrary standards of you know why why should i be compassionate and uh empathetic with other people and i mean going back to that uh logical reasoning um there's the uh the whole concept of the veil of ignorance you know you want to create the kind of society that you would want to live in mm -hmm. if you didn't know what role you would play in that society, essentially trying to make it fair for everybody. Um, empathy and compassion are just tools that we use to discover, um, you know, those, those conclusions. So I, I don't see those as necessarily um, the conclusions themselves. They're just the means by which we arrive at them. Uh, and those are natural tools that we're, we're equipped with as human beings. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's a pretty robust standard um, that can stand up to a lot of criticism. Uh, but even, you know, if you don't want quite that kind of a contrarian uh, association with uh, Satanism, they're basically based on, on humanism. Um, mm -hmm. It's just a little more specific. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there are some things that I think that we need to get more clear as a culture on what's self-evident truth or object, uh, objective truth, 
right you know versus subjective and and that's you know man it makes me think of like ray comfort and like how he would attack those kinds of things if you know there's no such thing of if that's you know this this path of well if that's the way it is there is no objective morality there is no objective truth (laughs) and well no you can make things objective you can (laughs) there are i mean there are facts that exist regardless of anybody's opinions of them Mm -hmm. um what we decide to place as values can can be arbitrary. Like if we want to place human well-being as as a value, I mean, there's no law of the universe that dictates that we have to do that. But fairly universally, people want to live a life where their well-being is valued. Um, it's not very common for people to want something different than that. So that can be a fairly universal standard for, you know, determining that that's a good thing to value. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are rather objective ways of accomplishing that or, you know, uh, detracting from that. So while morality itself may not be an entirely objective thing, um, there is certainly some subjectivity to it because we are beings and that that standard um, is going to be relative to the being that it applies to humans mm-hmm. um because you know other planets don't care uh, rocks don't care the sun doesn't care we care um so that is kind of subjective to us but there's there's things that it will objectively work against those standards so um it, it can it kind of can be both objective and subjective at the same time depending on kind of how you're trying to define that um but yeah, the, the, there are more effective and less effective ways of doing it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you can communicate something very clearly in a concise way uh, that's, that has some nuance, um, I, th- I think that's effective. And I, yeah. I, I like the pragma- pragmatism to it. And I, I think that was the point in the first place with the Ten Commandments, really. I think that, like I said, it's a story. It's it's pointing in one. This is just a setup for something that's about to happen later on in the story, and you just see them completely just fucking up over and over. And uh, yeah, you you know, I think if there's anything that is objective about the Bible, it's the fact that um, stories are useful. <laughs> Uh, you it can, can be, depending you can, on how you want to use them. Yeah, you can accomplish a lot with stories, whether they're true or whether they're untrue or whether you take some artistic expression. So You can also accomplish good or bad things with stories. Indeed, and that's the thing. I think that that's truly what I think the point is, is that stories are powerful, words are powerful. We need to be, we need to treat them with the respect that they're due because we got to learn how to not do stuff the way we're doing it. We've been doing this, the, the human project's been going on for a while. You think <laughs> we'd figure out that the killing people and letting people die thing has negative effects on the general well-being of the population, you know? And- well, but individually we only do it for so long. Um, 
eventually you and I are going to die and, and mm-hmm. the next generation of people have to learn that same process. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, that's an ongoing thing. Yeah. And I think if, if we can, like I said, if it doesn't end up in like mass genocide, I think or and nuclear th- explosion. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, 30 years down the road, uh, the younger generations are going to be at least a little bit better equipped mentally how to deal yeah. with this stuff compared to the generations before. People don't understand the amount of trauma and like the mental illness and stuff like that in the 1950s and further back. Like, you just got to remember people don't talk about this shit. Like, like there was no yeah. reason to be open about anything doing with dealing with weakness or um, controversy. So, right, man, yeah. we just gotta we just gotta look forward and look backward, and then let both of those things help us make a decision. Right, and that's that's all I got to say. Yeah, hey, <laughs> um, yeah, it was a good talk. Yeah, um. And for all you guys out there listening, um, we do have uh, some bonus exclusive content coming in now. Um, Elias is starting to do some things on the uh, Patreon that's uh, pretty interesting. Uh, you want to give a kind of a quick teaser as to uh, the, the Satan? Yeah, I, I wanted to dig a little deeper into some of the ideas and like the the archetype of Satan in the Bible and uh, a number of other different little side notes to our little series we did on the tenets of the satanic temple and the 10 commandments. So I did, uh, good evil and the Satan. And, uh, we talk about what the word Satan means. Uh, some of the images portrayed in the old Testament and new, and, uh, you know, some of the, we just explore that and the ideas behind good and evil in Genesis as well. Uh, and I'm going to do next, I think I'm going to do uh, TULIP, which is the, uh, the Baptist. It's an acronym for the, the, not the Baptist, the, the Reformed Theology Protestant Church, evan- modern evangelical kind of ultra fundamentals. And I'm going to go through those and try to explain those as best I can. You have to do so much intellectual uh, acrobat work that, I mean, that that's the thing that it comes down to, especially with the Protestant movement. TULIP only works if you have the inerrant idea that the Bible projects uh, from the view of the the reformers so it you know there's a lot of rules that surround these basic fundamentals and that's what you're there to do is to break it down uh, for us well i'm gonna <laughs> i'll break down my very small understanding of it and that's what i think that's what's frustrating to me about the reformation movement like it, there are people that talk ad nauseum and write ad nauseum, and they've done so through history for hundreds of years. Um, why their speculations are biblically sound. That's really what it comes down to, is they're like, my speculations of the Bible are 100% truth, and this is why. And 
you have to follow that or you're a heretic and you're going to burn forever in hell and we're probably going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we'll talk about that, that. That's yeah, it's exclusive only for Patreon subscribers. So uh, please uh, check it out. Um, if you decide that it's not worth it, you can cancel your subscription. We appreciate it if you don't, though, because uh, that's how we fund well, the show. And you never know what other kind of juicy stuff uh, might get right. thrown in there. Um, and we're also, I think I mean, we're going to start not... kind of kicking it in gear with that a little bit, too. Yeah, because we're going to have some guests that these conversations are going to go longer than we have an allotted time for mm-hmm. on the show for the free version. So it's going to have to go into an extended uh, uh, Patreon only uh, sort of like we did with Logan. And I, honestly, that was kind of where I think some of the best content uh, when we got deeper into the conversation where it really uh, got right. good and it was it was after the show. So right. to hear it, you got to you got to sign up. But uh, yeah, go over to um, uh, our website, analyzepodcast.com. Uh, click on the uh, the Patreon uh, link and it'll take you right there. If you want to become a guest, uh, there's a form on the website. Just click on the become a guest, fill out uh, the form. We'll all get emails and we will follow up with you. Uh, we want to have these conversations with you. But uh, for now, um, hang in there. We've got some uh, interesting guests coming up. Uh, we're really looking forward to it. Right on, man. All right. Thanks, bud. Thanks for listening, people. See you guys. Support us at patreon.com slash analyzed to become a guest.